Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> they are really beefing up security, I think, a little bit. Uh... Yeah, thank you. It's so nice to have a person who can relate to abs. I think that that was kind of fun. No, thank you so much, John Schaefer. Uh, hey, one of the reasons we do a walk through Bethlehem is not just so that we can see Christmas in a different perspective for us. It's a huge evangelistic outreach. Uh, we know from data that the two times people will come to church that they normally will never come to church is Christmas and Easter. They may never attend church during the year, but at Christmas and Easter, we still have this cultural thing that people will come, and a walk through Bethlehem is a way to invite the community uh, and see what the gospel is really like. The problem is we're really lacking um, actors and people just to dress up in the different kind of costumes. Uh, you won't have speaking lines, per se, but we kind of desperately need people. So if you're interested, if you've always wanted to be a theater major, then go out that door at, at between services, and you'll see that we have a, a place that you can go called Bethlehem, a walk through Bethlehem, and go ahead and just sign up or get more information. Well, it's still after the election. We're doing a three-part series on what do we do after the election from a communication standpoint. And just know that this conversation has not died down whatsoever. It's actually picked up in intensity. Uh, here's a photograph I came across. Um, this is a child whose mother was so angry about the election that she learned that her son, in an elementary school mock election, voted for Trump. And she literally packed his bags in Houston, kicked him out, and he had to wear a sign that said, my mom won't let me stay in the house because I voted for Trump. Uh, she's now being investigated by child services. But um, uh, Vice President-elect Pence went to go see Hamilton. And as he walked into the theater, he was roundly booed by the entire theater. During the, some songs that talk about diversity, he was booed again. As he was leaving, they had a prepared statement. They knew he was going to be there. And one of the lead actors got up and read him. I thought it was actually worded really well. I just wouldn't have done it that way. To me, it was grandstanding. I would have invited him back. I would have said, come back stage with us. We'd love to dialogue with you. Um, but listen, so this isn't dying down whatsoever. But with it comes a great opportunity as the church. We are always called to be countercultural. This gives us a great opportunity to say, hey, we have passionate beliefs. There are things we care about very deeply, and we disagree with people. But the way we do our disagreements is just different. And you can actually learn how Christians talk about differences, and maybe it can help soothe this incivility that we're seeing. Now, the Apostle Paul anticipated all of this. He's not talking about America. He's talking about how does Christianity work in Rome? So here's his advice to the church at Rome. Please stand with me to receive God's word. If you can't stand, that's okay. Just assume a position of reception. In chapter 12, Paul says this, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. We could stop right here. Rejoice with those who rejoice. They're thrilled about this election. We finally got the White House back. And there are people who are deeply mourning, deeply troubled, do not feel safe anymore in their own country. And we should mourn with those individuals, Paul says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if there were ever words that describe the church, on the contrary, I want you to be different, Paul says. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You may be seated. Today we live in what is called the argument culture. Christian uh, communication scholars aren't the only ones deeply concerned about our culture today, but non-Christian communication theorists are. Deborah Tannen, Georgetown linguist, says this, when you're having an argument with someone, your goal is not to listen and understand. Instead, you use every tactic you can think of, including distorting what your opponent just said in order to win the argument. We are in the argument culture. I don't want to listen to your perspective. I don't want to find common ground. I just want to prove that you're wrong. That's the argument culture. And by the way, our reputation is that we're the worst when it comes to this. Our reputation is not, as Christians, we're just like everybody else. Our reputation is we're worse than everybody else. Uh, one person called us the pit bulls of the culture war, Christians. Um, big teeth, small brains. Now, whether that's a fair critique or not, just know that's our reputation today if you're a conservative Christian. Uh, Sam Harris wrote a, uh, I'm sorry, Daniel Taylor, who's a Christian, said, unfortunately, the sad truth is that in our battle with a hostile culture, we have adapted the culture's tactics. We, Christians, fight ugliness with ugliness, distortion with distortion, sarcasm with sarcasm. Hey, you make fun of my candidate, I'll make fun of your candidate. You make fun of my religious passion, I'll make fun of your passion. You say my religion is worthless, I'll say your philosophy is worthless. And we just jump in like everybody else. Sam Harris wrote a book. He's an atheist. He wrote a book called Letter to a Christian Nation. It is not a nice book. He belittles Christians. Um, he just goes after us. And I make all my students read it to uh, understand the perspective of a hostile atheist. But here's the thing about Sam Harris. He said, listen, so I kind of went after the church, and boy, did they go after me on social media. He received death threats, and eventually he said this. The truth is that many who claim to be transformed by Christ's love are deeply, even murderously, intolerant of criticism. And I would say that's true. We don't do well with criticism. We don't do well with people inspecting our perspective. And we have got to find a way, after the election, with all the vitriol that's happening in our country, we've got to be examples of what Paul means on the contrary. Now, what does that look like? Remember, we, uh, last week I said we need to extend goodwill to other people. There's always going to be negative interpretations of another person. Of course there are. But can you find a good interpretation? Can you assume the best about a person, not the worst uh, interpretation? And, and we've got to extend kindness to people, extend goodwill to individuals. So what do we do? Step number one, we need to create a kingdom environment. In the midst of such incivility, is it possible for us to create an environment where we can be civil and kind and have really hard discussions and speak the truth and talk about really thorny issues but do it in such a way that the world takes notice and says, wow, that is different how these individuals talk about important things. I want to point to St. Patrick. St. Patrick went to Ireland, 5th century Ireland. You couldn't think of a more hostile place. Uh, their only economy at that point was warfare. 
They constantly raided other countries. Um, they worshipped druid gods, and they would have human sacrifices to these druid gods. So if St. Patrick shows up, actually he's kidnapped the first time, to Ireland, what he decides to do is create these monastic communities where he would say to people, listen, when you're out there, that's how the world does stuff. But when you come into this community, you're treated with kindness. I don't care if you're an enemy, you're treated with kindness. We treat people with civility here in this community. A friend of mine, Rick Langer, he's a professor at Biola University, he wrote this about St. Patrick and the monastic approach. He said this, As one passed through the gate, one entered into a playing field with entirely different rules. Within the Celtic monastic enclosure, the rules of the kingdom of God applied. The community, I love this phrase, the community was an outpost of the kingdom, a foretaste of heaven. So you're out there in 5th century um, Celtic Ireland with Druid worship and barbarism, but you come into this small community and you'll get just a taste of heaven. Today, people are looking for ways to talk about differences. And can the Christian community offer not a physical environment, but a communication environment that people look at us and say, wow, these are passionate people, but they speak with civility, they speak with kindness, they speak with love. So what do we do within this um, communication um, our community? We stop communication spirals, negative spirals. How do we do that? This is what Paul says. Number one, I do not want you to curse another person. Uh, there's no reason to curse this person. Even if you bitterly disagree with this person, you do not curse that person. Remember James talked about slander? Now, we are absolutely called to do edification which is I speak the truth and my attitude is what makes it edification. I actually want to edify you. I want to help you. I am concerned about you. That's why we're having this conversation. We're not having this conversation so I can get one more dig in. I'm not having this conversation so that I can lambast you. We're having this conversation because I actually do care about this country. I actually do care about you as an individual. That's why we're doing this. My pledge to you is I will not curse you. I will not do that. I think that's important. By the way, one discipline I think we should enact right now, it's hard to do. Uh, we need to refer to Donald Trump as President-elect Trump. We give him that dignity right away. That's his title. And I think it's good for us to start to train ourselves that way. Um, it is President Obama. Uh, it is Secretary Clinton. These titles are very important. And you will not even get in the conversation if you slander a person in the front end by not giving them the respect that their title offers them. Incredibly important. Number two, do not repay anyone evil for evil. I don't care how they talk about you. I, I, Paul is saying, I don't care how they treat you. We don't overcome evil with evil. We don't get into the trenches with them. We have a different thing to do. Now, here's our stereotype. Whether it's fair or not, here's how the world now looks at us. Listen, you guys were supposed to be the character people. You were supposed to be the character people. That character mattered, right? You went after uh, pr former President Clinton, right? You went after all, all these individuals. Now, when you had a shot at the White House, you said character didn't matter. When you had a shot at power, you now said character doesn't matter. And you picked a man who doesn't fit any of your character qualities. Because you wanted political power. Now, if that's fair or not, just know that's the narrative we have inherited. So we're going to have to explain to people uh, the perception that all evangelicals voted for Donald Trump, President-elect Trump, right? 
But that, that's not true, by the way. But perception is reality for a lot of people. So we have a lot of explaining to do. Even if you voted for President-elect Trump, I think we need to explain, hey, don't misinterpret my vote. Okay, and I think as Christians, we need to stand up and say, here's what we're for. And some of this is really against what I understand President-elect Trump's uh, agenda to be. Men and women, we're the ones who bring refugees into our country. Christians, we're the ones who fight for that. And is it dangerous? Yes. Will we unwittingly possibly allow, though, though the risk is minimal, uh, terrorist cells to come into our country and will it do harm to Americans? Yes. And God will say, do it anyway. Remember Christianity grew in the Roman Empire because three plagues hit the Roman Empire and Christians went out to attend to people and they died in droves. Remember the bishop wrote an Easter letter saying commending Christians who gave their lives. So men and women, we're the charitable ones. We care for the foreigner. We care for the outcast. And if that means speaking out against uh, presidential directives, then we need to do that with respect. Live at peace with everyone. That's not always possible. Uh, when I first got to Biola University, we had a 15-year relationship with a hospice of people dying of AIDS primarily, and it was run by one of the largest gay churches in Orange County. I was asked to be the new faculty advisor. So I had to meet with their theologian, or with my wife, a student leader, and we sat down with their theologian and had a lot of explaining to do. He looked at our doctrinal statement. It was a very robust two-hour conversation. But at the end of it, he said, hey, I, I, I think it's great that Biola students want to come and minister to people who are dying. And I think it's great. You got my stamp of approval. Two weeks later, I get a letter that says, you've been rejected. I was like, so I called this guy. I said, I, I thought we had a, yeah, it wasn't me. It was the senior pastor. I said, can I talk to him? Sure, I'll patch in right now. Patch him in. First words out of his mouth, yeah. I was like, oh, my goodness. That was not what I was hoping to hear. Um, I said, hey, I'm from Biola University. We would love to. He goes, listen, Biola hates gays. I was like, wow. I said, hey, I can assure you that's not true. He said, I can assure you it is. I said, can we grab, can we grab coffee? To, no, nothing to talk about. Is there nothing I can do to change your mind? No. I said, okay, God's best to you. Boom. Paul says, hey, it takes two people to reconcile. But it takes one person to say, I will live at peace with you, and I will treat you in a respectful way. And then overcome evil with good. I don't think we believe this is true. I think we believe look, good doesn't overcome evil. And yet that is the heart of Christian communication, is we're good to everyone. And the fact that we haven't always been good to everyone has really put us in a tough situation. Men and women, we missed an opportunity. When the AIDS crisis hit, we missed an opportunity. With the, when the gay community was literally dying, uh, there were some noted exceptions, but by and large, the church sat back and moralized. We looked at them and said, well, what do you expect? Right? As they were literally dying. So right now, our attempt to be witnesses to the gay community, boy, we gotta, we, we're in a big ditch trying to get out of it. Because they look at us and say, you cared more about your ideology than you cared about us. We literally were dying, and you did not help us. Men and women, that's the hallmark of us. We can have a bitter debate with you, and we learn that you're not doing well. Guess what we do? We drop everything, and we go to help you. Hey, the debate can wait. Let's help you, because God loves you. That's what neighbor love is. Well, it's not a good political strategy. Well, I'm sorry. 
Pragmatics doesn't rule the day when it comes to Christians. We don't trade moral voice for political power. We don't trade that. It's not a good trade. So there's a verbal aspect of this, and there's a nonverbal. Verbal, this is crazy. This is why Sigmund Freud rejected Christianity. You've got to read a book once in your life called Civilization and Its Discontents. It's about that big. Sigmund Freud turned away from Christianity based on verses like this. Paul says this in Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That word bless, in Greek, it means to eulogize. It means to speak well of a person. Freud was like, what? So a person is insulting you, cursing you, and you speak well of them? That's ridiculous. You'll get taken advantage of. And he walked away from Christianity, not even thinking about it. Jesus says, oh, absolutely. Turn the other cheek. Yeah, we bless. We don't curse. We speak well of you, even as you do not speak well of me. That is my pledge to you, that in this community, we don't curse each other. In this community, we speak respectful of each other, even as we bitterly disagree with each other, theologically, politically. And we speak well, because this is a safe zone. Uh, Nobel winner uh, Bob Dylan uh, said in the 1960s, there's a shelter in the time of storm. And we're the shelter in the time of this rhetorical storm that we find ourselves in. There's also a nonverbal aspect. On the contrary, if your enemy... Boy, I, I don't like this translation because in the Greek, that word enemy mostly means those who hate you. So it really should read, if those who hate you are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. The very people that would do damage to you, you do good to them. The people who, who afford you no respect, you respect them. And when they're hurting and need uh, anything, we go and we help uh, those individuals. Now, here's a massive question. Do you have God's power? Because what I've just described, you can't do by yourself. I, I, I was on the debate team in college. I, I, my goodness. You send a verbal shot across my bow, it's coming right back at you. My humor can be sarcasm in a heartbeat. Um, so do I have God's power? That's a great question. Can I bless in the midst of this? I want you to watch a clip from a very interesting movie. The movie is called Witness. It's Harrison Ford, plays this Philadelphia uh, police officer. He's, he's investigating crime within the de police department. Uh, a small Amish boy in a bathroom witnesses the murder of one police officer murdering another. And Harrison Ford realizes this. He's shot in the process. But now the woman, the mother of this Amish child, takes him to an Amish community where they restore him to help and they're hiding out from the bad cops. Well, guess what? One day they go to town. Harrison Ford is dressed as an Amish, but he's not really Amish, and this is what happens. I, I, I was doing a chapel at Biola University on meekness, on turn the other cheek. I showed that clip. All the students were like, yeah, awesome, that's great. And I'm like, no, no. Hey, man. We're Christians, but we're also Americans. <laughs> right? Don't you love that? You're making a big mistake. <laughs> and Jesus is going, no, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. No, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jesus, I love you, but this is, this is Harrison Ford, man. You know what the problem was? He wasn't Amish. He was only dressed as Amish. 
By the way, these Amish, based on the Bible, do not defend themselves. They don't defend themselves. By the way, these are the same Amish in 2006 when 10 school children, Amish school children, are brutally shot to death in a one-room schoolhouse. As they were grieving, the same day they went to the family of the shooter and offered forgiveness and compassion. Listen, you can say you're a Christian. But it's moments like this when you're insulted and every ounce of you wants to strike back. And the refrain is, if I don't strike back, we'll get walked over. If if we don't do it the way they're doing it, play nasty politics, then we're not going to get the White House. And God is saying, but that is, those are not the right questions. You are to seek first the kingdom of God. Well, that's what I'm doing. I know, but don't do it that way. And that's what we need to wrestle with. How do we talk to people? How do we argue for biblical positions? What a great test. If you're one of those people like me, man, when you insult me, you make a joke at my expense, boom, coming right back at you. Right, and I'll confess it later, but you're making a big mistake. <laughs> Romans 12, 19, do not take your revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Hey, you better believe God's watching. He's watching. He knows how that person's treating you. He knows how that person talks about you. He knows how that person belittles your faith, makes fun of your Christianity. And God says, I will use your kind actions to convert that person. I'll use your kindness. Now again, I am not talking about verbal abuse. I'm not talking about marital abuse. I'm not talking about physical abuse. Though the Amish would disagree at that point. But when somebody's belittling you because of your faith, Jesus says, do as I did, turn the other cheek. But we all go, no, but then they get away with it. They get away with it, and their person gets the White House. And here's what um, Paul says. In doing this, your kind actions, you will heap burning coals on that person's head. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul's referring to culturally, though there was a Persian custom that when you were repenting, when you were in lament, you would wear a turban with a piece of tin on the top of it, and you would wear a smoldering coal on your head to symbolize repentance. So we think what Paul is saying, the coals are the Holy Spirit. So as I'm being kind to this person who's not kind to me, the Holy Spirit's working. If you've got a really snarky person, and you're trying to witness to them, your kindness. Uh, 72% of all the emotional uh, content of a person speaking is through their nonverbals, his or her nonverbals. So when you're kind to a person, when you offer comfort instead of criticism, the Holy Spirit takes that and uses it on that person's life. And they walk away going, man, I can't believe they treat me that way with respect because I am not respectful to them one bit. And we say, well, you know what? We do it because God loves you. Because when God looks at you, he sees his image. And that's why we love you. Christ died for you. That's why we extend love. Now, let's talk about this. This is where we blow it the most, in my opinion, is when it comes to social media. 
there's something called disinhibition. Disinhibition means this. When I'm talking to you face to face, I, I at least have to be polite. I mean, there's things I can say to you, hard things, but I, I have to deal with the immediate, um, uh, your response comes immediately. So I at least have to take that in consideration. Um, or at least people are watching. So that kind of keeps me in check just a little bit. When you sit down with your laptop computer, you sit down with your phone to send a tweet, it's called disinhibition. You don't have to face the, what your words have done to another person. You don't have to face the impact of it. I just send it and let it go. So men and women, Jesus said this. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Some, all of us, need to go before the Holy Spirit and say, how am I using social media today? Is my social media grace-based? Am I speaking the truth but doing it with love? Remember I said the number one word I think in the New Testament to describe Christian communication is gentleness. How gentle is your social media usage? By the way, you might not be the best person to answer that. Because uh, we delude ourselves all the time. So it might be nice to invite a third party to say, hey, would you take a look at my social media, my Facebook posts, my blogs, my emails, my uh, texts, and my tweets? And what kind of tone do you get from that? All of us should do this. Now, let me say this with love, but say it firmly. Some of you should not be on social media. You're doing great damage to the kingdom. Uh, we've gone through a hard transition in this church. And uh, the way some of you talked about the pastor was sin. It was wrong. The content may have been okay. Your facts may have been the facts. But the tone was unbiblical. And by the way, Paul doesn't let you split hairs on this. We never speak the truth without love. And at this point, some might say, yeah, but what about him? Hey, that's what Paul's saying. Uh, God's working on him. I'm working on you right now. And we, at that point, we get mad because, well, then he's going to get away with No, nobody's getting away with anything. The Holy Spirit is saying, I want each one to look at yourself. I was so proud of the elders during a meeting to get up and apologize. That was That was hard. Apologize for maybe something, how they handled some things. I thought it was great. But literally, that's one side of the coin. I think there needs to be another apology that comes. By the way, one simple principle. If you said it publicly, you apologize publicly. If you said it on Facebook, you apologize on Facebook. And then you stop using Facebook. If you did it through a tweet with all your followers, you send an apology out. Now, this is between you and the Lord... I honestly don't have a dog in this fight. I honestly don't. I'm not defending anyone. I'm saying when you do discuss it, there are two qualifications. That is truth, make sure you have your facts, and there is love. And for me, it's always the love part that's hard for me. I just want to let it rip and send that email, send that tweet. I don't have a smartphone. I don't trust myself with it, to be honest. And I don't want that kind of technology with me 24-7. The world's watching, and let me just say this. The number one access they have to this community we're creating is social media. Uh, most people won't darken the door of EV Free, but they'll read our social media. And how do we talk about individuals? Can we critique people? Absolutely, we're called to do that. But do we do it with love and gentleness? Because the world's watching. 
I want to show you something real quick. My son Jason sent this to me. Um, Ernie Johnson is one of the commentators on uh, the NBA, TNT's NBA show. It's a great show. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal's on it. Charles Barkley's on it. Well, after the election, they decided to talk politics. And each one of them got three minutes to voice their opinion uh, about this volatile election. And it, it, you need to go back and listen to all of them. But I want you to hear what Ernie Johnson said. It was very interesting. So here's Ernie Johnson. Isn't that powerful? <clears throat> I showed that to every one of my communication classes. And I said two things. One, don't think he just got that platform overnight. It took him years to get that platform. And then there was a moment, a cultural moment, where he cashed in some of his ethos. And he said, listen, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. But he did it in a respectful way. Yeah, I'm going to pray for President-elect Trump, but I'm also praying for the disenfranchised. You could hear it in his voice, the compassion. The empathy. Second, I, I love the question he asked of President-elect Trump. Is he all in? See, baptism asks this question. Are you all in? And by the way, answering that question doesn't happen in your living room. It doesn't happen in your dorm room. It happens in front of everybody. Jesus says, I want you to be all in. And I want you to say so publicly. So we're going to have a time of baptism where some people are going to come up and say, I'm all in and I'm doing it in front of everybody. As you watch them, inspect yourself and ask the question, am I all in? Is Jesus Lord of my content, Lord of my convictions? But is he Lord of my tongue? And we can create an environment, just like everybody is watching Ernie Johnson. They're watching us. And do we offer them grace, truth, and love? Let me pray for us. Father, we are deeply humbled by what you did at Calvary. Peter said, while being reviled, he did not revile in return, but offered himself up to God. Father, we do pray for President-elect Trump. Again, as he fills his cabinet, 4,000 government jobs, give him wisdom. Let him surround himself with spiritual voices, moral voices. Pray for Secretary Clinton, that you would be with her, that you would redeem this time in her life, that you would draw her through this crushing defeat to yourself. Father, I pray for all of us who would inspect our online communication, starting with myself. And Father, if apologies need to be issued, I pray that you would give us the courage to hear your voice and issue apologies. We love you. We pray in your son's name. Amen.